right, well, we're at Nehemiah 3 today. Go ahead and make your way over to Nehemiah 3. I do want you to make, make an effort to have it in front of you today. Uh, the way we're going to be reading, I really want that to be the case. So uh, as you're doing so, I'll, I'll tell you, <clears throat> last week I had originally planned to preach, uh, and then I had some oral surgery that was going to be done, scheduled for the middle of the week, and wasn't sure, am I going to be recovered? What's that going to look like? And um, by Saturday, things were going fantastic. I thought, oh, I probably could have preached, no big deal. And then I went to the old Memorial Stadium over at K-State to play wiffle ball home run with my kids. Uh, and we're, we're playing, and suddenly Berkeley hits a line drive that hits me right, right where the surgery was, um, which was painful. And then two seconds later, my 16-year-old, we have this one ball. It's this pink hard. It's not a legit wiffle ball. It shouldn't be in there, but it goes further, so we keep it. Uh, anyway, he hits maybe the hardest hit he's ever done, and it hits me in the ear here and just knocks me to the ground, ear ring, and I thought we are going to go visit Corey in the ER uh, for a bit, and, and that's why it went. So anyway, in the end, I, you know, in God's providence, I sure am glad that John was preaching last week, because I was on my pain meds again on Sunday morning, so you don't want that. Um, so anyway, let me kind of catch you up with what's going on in our, our passage here. If you remember, uh, <clears throat> Nehemiah has announced these plans to uh, build the wall. He's got opposition from some guys on the outside. He's now gathered these volunteers. They're all willing. Let's do this. Let's build the wall. Uh, enough time has passed for, for the ability to get all the supplies that they need to gather it up there in Jerusalem. And, and that's kind of the moment we're, we're picking up is when they're, okay, let's, let's get moving on this. Now, Nehemiah 3 is 32 verses long. It is a, a long bit to read. It's a lot like the baguettes, right? So-and-so baguettes, so-and-so, only it's the, the wall-building baguettes, if you will. Um, and, and so we're just going to read the, the first six verses here out, out loud, and, and because I want you to kind of see the, the way it reads, the, the structure of what it is. It's incredibly redundant. Uh, there's good reasons. Go back and read this all on your own, and we're going to look at specific things as we, as we do work our way through this, but we're not going to read the whole thing at the beginning. Uh, and again, that's why I want you to have it in front of you, so you can follow along as, as we make our way through. But let's, let's get into it, Nehemiah 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to him, the man of Jericho built... The ne- and next to them, Zakur, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, uh, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of uh, Barakai, son, son of Mezekazubal, repaired. And next to them, Zaduk, the son of Banna, r- repaired. And next to them, the, the Tekites repaired. Uh, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joida, the son of Peshai, uh, and Meshalem, the son of Beshadiah, repaired the, ga- the gate at Yesenai. Uh, they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. The grass withers, the flower fades. Now, be honest, you didn't want to hear me pronounce words for another 20-something verses, did you? Um, so let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in our passage, we see so many names, so many details, and yet... As always, we, we know that you have something to teach us in your word today. Holy Spirit, please enlighten our minds for, for what it is you desire us to learn, to, to believe, to, to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
So let's start with just a, a wide angle of this passage. Uh, what I want you to see here is, is this theme that's incredibly common throughout the scriptures. It's this, uh, this theme that's incredibly clear in this chapter 3 of Nehemiah. I want you to see the people of God united around the mission of God. Right? That's the overarching theme. The people of God united around the mission of God. And we're going to come back to that in some detail in a bit. But, but first I kind of want to show you a few things, lay out a, a few details here. Uh, the first thing to notice here is there are, there are ten gates. Uh, they've been assigned to people as well as certain sections of the walls that have been assigned to them. Uh, on the days those assignments were given out, just like every time we're in a situation like this, you can imagine someone, you know, asking, oh, what gate you get? What gate you get, right? And eventually they're like, hey, Malachaja, uh, in verse 14, Mal, what section do you get? And he's like, I got the dung gate. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of uh, not the one you want. Now, now, dung at this point is not used as just poo like we tend to use the term today. This was actually a, a really important gate. It did have something to do with that, but, but it was the way all the nasty stuff in the city would go out. They needed a place, so it's not going out all the other gates. Uh, there were, in fact, uh, what was left over for many of the animal sacrifices is what was going to go out that gate. It actually served a really important job in the, in the role of Jerusalem. Uh, now, now, look at verse 1. Uh, what is very, the very first gate that's mentioned there? What do you see there? Shout it out. Sheep, yeah, the sheep gate. Uh, starting with the sheep gate, this is incredibly symbolic. This is the gate that uh, the animals that were used and the sacrifices, they would enter the city and eventually make their way to the altar where they would be sacrificed. Uh, that's why this is the only gate that is consecrated by the priests when you look throughout the entire thing, it, meaning it's, it's set apart for this, this sacred use. Uh, this really, by putting it first, this shows the absolute centrality of worship for this covenant community. That, that was a primary aspect of this. So many of these other things have to do with just day-to-day -day life of, of you know, merchants even, uh, what we'll see later. All these other things going on. But this, right, the very first one listed is about the worship of God. Now, this is a way of saying, you know, let us put God first. Or in the words that the Lord Jesus uses later, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. We, we make our priorities there. Now, in case you're curious, the, the fish gate was near where the merchants actually came in to, to sell things. This is Jerusalem, right? Not the temple complex. Get your, I mean, it's easy to confuse it at this point. Uh, but they would come in and sell things, including fish. Uh, so that's what it was set apart. The, the old gate near the Tower of Ovens, verse 11, this is where the bakers worked. Uh, the water gate was when Richard Nixon... Not that water gate. This water gate was near the spring of, of Gahan Spring, which is probably not how you pronounce it. Uh, this is the main source of, of water for the city of Jerusalem. It was necessary that they had that. That's where it would come in, and there were some passageways there. Anyway, uh, want to guess what came in through the horse gate? Yes, it sounded like a trick question. Cows? Come on now, Lucy. All right. So remember that these gates here, they, they aren't just decorative, they, these are absolutely about security, these are incredibly important. As, as we read through this passage, um, we, we see how many of these gates, in, in the way that they word it, right, they're without bars, they're without bolts, meaning, meaning there are doors missing, there are locks missing, uh, there are whole sections where someone can just walk through. I mean, put this in perspective, can you imagine your house right now? That if you had to live for the next few years with, with most of your doors missing, windows missing, not a lock on any of those things, when you go to bed at night, how, how safe are you going to feel at night? Right? That's, that's what it's like for these people living as residents in Jerusalem at this time. 
That's what it's like for them. So then let, let's consider the people here, right? For, we see them working in harmony together. There's a group aspect, and yet these are not identical people. There is quite a variety of, of individuals here. Look at the occupations listed. We see goldsmith, priest, perfumers, merchants. Some of them are actually commuters, right? It's not even their house area. It's not where they live, and, and yet because it's the, the city of the Lord, it's important to them. Um, Right? These commuters are coming from faraway places like Jericho and Tekoa and Gibeon and Bethzer and Mizpah and other places, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce for you. Uh, there are rich and poor. There are men and women united sacrificially serving together. Right? Verse 12 right there, look at that. Uh, we, we learn that Shalom's daughters are working on the wall. This is actually incredibly significant. Uh, Der- Derek Thomas comment on this says, in our, in, in our egalitarian age, in which women are often seen doing work that at one time would have been considered the domain of men only, this may appear totally unsurprising. But we have to think in the context of Nehemiah, this is utterly unusual. Women did not do construction work. And, and yet what we're seeing right here is that they are doing just that because that's the need. In this list, there are a few people with <clears throat> the exact same name, uh, Right? They're only distinguished because their family names are listed there, son of so-and-so. Uh, there's, there's three Meshulams, verses 4, 6, and 30. Uh, Meshulam, right? This had been the top of the baby name list at that time. Maybe a lot like, well, like John, right? We've always got 15 Johns in here at any given moment. Uh, and so they'd ask the question, you know, do you, do you know Meshulam? And you'd have to ask, well, which, which Meshulam? Uh, that would have been the question there. Uh, I mean, speaking of Johns, last week my, my daughter pointed out that we had, we had John... Dunning preaching from the book of John, and he was talking about John the Baptist, right? All those Johns going on at one moment. You don't care about that. Uh, so another feature of these, these individuals here is that uh, there's not a single mason mentioned, not name, an actual mason. There's not a carpenter mentioned at all. There's no professional construction types mentioned at all. Uh, surely they're there, right? I mean, they, they must be. They're they must be overseeing or teaching people, perhaps. We don't know for sure. But regardless, though, the bulk of the actual work is being done by normal people who that's not their profession. Surely some were doing unskilled labor, maybe cleaning out rubble, moving things. But, but most of what is being done here is them learning on the fly how to do something and, and then doing it, right? How to set a gate and then setting a gate. They're learning what to do because that's what needs to So they're learning what needs to be done and then learning how to do it. Now, Listen to me. You, you might not like this, but, but you need to hear this. Um, I, I've been serving in churches for, I don't know, all, over 20 years technically now. And, and when people are asked to serve, uh, there is, a, you know, here's this need. Here's what we need you to do. I, I have heard more times than I can count over the years uh, something like, no, that's not my gifting. Or I'm not good with kids. Or cleaning's not really my thing, or I don't know how to lead a Bible study, something along that, that list, right? And that's, that's just not my gifting. That's not where I serve. And, and I understand that. I don't mean to condemn that completely. Uh, but to, to, <laughs> to any of those, you know, the question is would you, would you be willing to learn to, to meet to have that need? And again, this is not to condemn you in the past, but I want you thinking forward what does this look like? whether here or somewhere else, right? You, you look at verse 8 here for a minute. There is a, a guy named here named uh, Hananiah. Uh, do you see what his profession is right there, verse 8? He is a perfumer. He makes perfume. Do you think his gifting is in gate building? Probably not, right? L- listen, in, in your life, you might be asked to do things in the service of the Lord that are out of your comfort zone. 
Maybe something that sounds terrifying at, their, at the first. Uh, some of you know this, right? When, uh, when I was young and first kind of college age, actually, really discerning a, a call to the ministry, <clears throat> I was absolutely terrified to stand up and, and speak in front of people. I'm still not comfortable with it. Uh, it, it, but it used to just absolutely terrify me. I, I remember the first time I was supposed to go and speak to some, some uh, high school students at my mother-in-law's school. She taught in a public school there and, and went into this, this school to teach. And Laura can attest to this. I was the most miserable person to be around for a week because I was so anxious, so nervous, so grumpy because I was going to go, right, teach them about the Bible. Uh, it, it was just this miserable thing that had to be pushed through and, and really learn about. And, and so listen, I... I want to, to challenge you, when, when a need arises in, in the future, one, you can say no. That's not what I'm saying. You can say no without a guilty conscience. Maybe you don't have time right now. Maybe you're, you're serving in too many other ways. It's okay to say no, but don't say no just because it's, it's not your, your, your absolute gifting, right? Or, or because you're afraid or it's not your absolute press, press, preference, uh, whether here or, or somewhere else and in some other situation, feel free to say even, right? right? Serving in that way scares me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it, but if it's what's needed, could, could you show me how? Could you put someone with me that could help me do that, uh, right? I just want to challenge you to be willing to get out of your comfort zone sometimes to, to meet the needs that, that arise. And, and again, my intention here is not to condemn you, but to challenge you, right? Step out of your comfort zone. And so then, here in Nehemiah 3, we, we see over 40 different groups as they divide up. Uh, 40 different groups, groups who are willingly, assumably joyfully, maybe not at every moment, but uh, right, working together. They are relying on the strength that the Lord gives. They are practicing love for neighbor and love for the Lord as they serve the purposes of God to the glory of God. And while, every, while their individuality is absolutely valued, right, it's, it's pointed out here, it's their unity that is an absolute necessity for this to get done. Uh, the project took a great deal of organizational uh, requirement by Nehemiah. Now, there's no mention of Nehemiah in here, and you might look and you'd be like, yes, there is. Well, look who his dad is. It's not the same Nehemiah, because they had that problem. Uh, there's no mention of him building any of these walls, but he has planned this, he has organized this, he has overseen it, he has delegated this to people, um, to those that are willing to, to be used in the Lord's service, right? He, he's, as Ephesians 4.12 later says, right, he has uh, equipped the saints for the work of ministry. He's not doing it all, but he's equipped them to go and to do it. Now, the picture of unity here is, is seen throughout the, the redundancy of this phrase, and, and we only got a little bit in the first six, six verses. If you keep going, it keeps going, right? And next to him, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. And then it switches at one point, and after him, and after him, and after him, and next to him, and after him. And it goes on and on like that, because these, these men and, and these women all have their own lives, right? Uh, with jobs and, and projects to be working on. And, and yet, here they are prioritizing this, this need uh, that, that has been called, that God has called them to, right? It would be so easy for them to prioritize their, their own goals, and, and yet here they are serving this way. Now, the sort of unity, this, this working together, should be the absolute norm among God's people, right? Within a congregation, without just Christians in general, right? Uh, Ray, Raymond Brown says this, he says, division is one of the most tragic anomalies in the life of a local church. Jerusalem's new walls <clears throat> were only possible because of cooperative teamwork. 
It's an anomaly. Let, let it be a, a high goal of ours as a covenant community to, to be unified within this body. Absolutely, right? We, we don't have walls to build, I know that. But, but there are all sorts of other practices where, where, where your service is of massive importance. Just, just Sunday morning, and I won't list everything here, right? But it requires people that are willing to serve, serve musically, even if, you know, it, absolutely. Uh, people to physically come and to set up chairs and to set up the stuff that you see up here on the stage and the, and the nursery and, and cleaning up afterwards and making bulletins and baking communion bread and welcoming people in the front door and teaching Sunday school and, and making coffee, <clears throat> all these things. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce once wrote, it is said that today churches more than anything else, resemble a football game played in a large stadium. There are 80,000 spectators in the stands who badly need some exercise, and there are 22 men on the field who badly need some rest. Right, that's a general wide-angle statement. Now, to be honest, y'all do an incredibly good job of serving this church. Absolutely do. Mean that from the bottom of my heart. Absolutely. Uh, but I do want to encourage you, right, if, if you're not and you're able to, uh, the more that we have serving, the, the lighter the load becomes for everybody else. And so pray about how, how you might serve in your, your covenant community. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, you know, we, we don't know what the situation for us is going to be like a year from now. If this building sells like it's, it's expected to sell. But, but you know, please, let's, let's plan to be committed and ready. Whatever the Lord does, that we're able to work together in unity to, to make it work. La- last time we did it, there were a number of things, right? Craig, Craig Klein got these lights in so that you could see. Uh, you remember what they were like afterwards? I'm going to show you real quick. This is as bright as it got before. Um, organize that. This pulpit right here, he was able to put together from something that was left over at FCC. Uh, Tony built the nursery walls down there. You actually built walls. Oh, Tony's not here, but he actually built walls. Um, so the nursery could work down there. You know, we got Nathan organizing these chairs every week to make sure things get done, those kind of things, and just encourage you, whatever it is that we face, that we're able to come together and work together uh, for, the, for the sake of making it work. Uh, as Romans 12.4 states, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That, that's who we are, right? That's who we are in Christ. We are individuals united into one body. Uh, so then, with all the unity we, we see among God's people in this passage, there is one, one exception. Did you notice it when we were reading those first, right, verse 5, have it, check it out. And next to them, and you expect, oh, and they were building, right? The Tekanites repaired, <clears throat> but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Nehemiah could have left that out, couldn't he? It's kind of a negative thing. Let's just, let's just skip over that and just focus on all the unity we see here. Uh, he doesn't. It's, it's there for a reason, right? And these, these nobles, these are politically and financially significant people in the community. <clears throat> the, the, this one group of nobles will, will not stoop. They will not lower themselves to such lowly work in the service of the Lord. There, there is a, a contrast going on in the way that it's presented, too. You, you might have noticed, right, that, um, that they refer to, to God, right? God is referred to as their Lord, as their master. And yet, immediately after calling him their master, uh, we were told they will not serve him. And so is God really their Lord? I mean, certainly it draws to mind that the words that, that our Lord, Jesus, spoke in Matthew 7, 21, when he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Maybe these, these nobles are 
maybe they resent Nehemiah, right? They've been significant and here comes this outsider and suddenly with authority and some letters and people are listening to him and doing stuff and, and right? Maybe it's pride in their heart that's driving this. We, we can't know for certain, but what we do know is that we, we still see this today. We do. There, there's always some Christians who love to just stand on the sideline, complaining, offering nothing but unhelpful criticisms instead of being a part of the work that the Lord is doing. And, and, and maybe in your head, there's someone's mind or name that came to mind. Push that out. Let, let go of that. Because you and I both know that, that we are just as capable as, of being like these Tekkenite nobles that we see here in this passage as anybody else. We are just it's just as likely to be us, right? Whatever the places the Lord calls as a servant. So let me remind you and to remind myself, right, that, that Jesus is our Lord. That means something. Jesus. And remember this, right? We're talking about Jesus. Jesus, the most glory-worthy person to set foot on this earth. Jesus. He washed the nasty feet of his disciples. Remember that story? These are people walking in sandals right, on a street covered in dung and dirt and nasty stuff, and that's whose feet he washed. And afterwards, in John 13, 14, Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. It's about that mindset of servants. We can stoop to serve. And the most simple terms here, right? And in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to seek to live not like the Tekkenite nobles, but like our Savior, who is and was, was and is a servant. All right, so let me give you a few more quick observations. Again, this is a weird passage. Preaching through it's a little weird because it's incredibly redundant and yet details throughout it. So let me just give you a few quick uh, observations. First, uh, verse 28. Have a look at it. Uh, we see many people did repairs near their own home there. You'll see in that whole section, right? They're outside of their house is the way they explain it. It just makes sense, right? There's less travel. There's more familiarity of what's going on there. Uh, But what I want you to see here is that that they're serving so close to home is of equal value to those who traveled a long distance to work on the wall, right? Christian, it is okay. It is good to work and to serve in, in the places that the Lord has established you. Right? I've talked about serving in the church, and yes, we do want that. But, but there is a world out there where, where you can also serve that is close to home, and, and I want you to understand that, that, that when you serve in the name of the Lord in other places, that is a godly thing. Even at your church, we consider that you know, your, your service to the church when, when you are out serving in the name of the Lord in that way, it, it is okay, it is good to work and serve wherever the Lord has established you. Right? As you not only work, but as you share the hope of the gospel, as you, you know, with people in your dorm room, with people in your battalion, or, or that mops group that you're part of, or wherever it might be. Uh, also, your actual neighborhood. That is probably one of the underutilized places where we view it as an opportunity for ministry in our lives, where, we're, where you're like, it's hard to know my neighbor, so I won't. Uh, right? There is a mission field on your street. And we're usually just blind of it. Uh, so have you realized that? I, right? Ask this question. How, how can you be a gospel light, a voice of hope in places that, that the Lord has placed you? And if you don't know the answer to that question, begin to pray over it. Begin to think over it. Begin to, to seek to have an answer to that. Right? Again, asking yourself, how can I serve and, and be a gospel light, a voice of hope in the places that God has placed me? 
Second observation uh, in this passage, right? There are, there are two types of work that are being done through here. There is the building and there is repairing. I don't know if you noticed that, right? They built the gate, they repaired the wall, they built the gate, they repaired the wall, all that kind of thing. And, and this is because some of the walls were diminished completely and, and some were just damaged. That, right, that's obvious. Now, listen, that, that's still the, the way that gospel work is done today. There are people who have no relationship with Jesus, who are uh, what is often called unchurched, completely, you know, without much knowledge, no concern, no history of it, nothing. And, and, and to those people, we, we seek to, be, to build by, by sharing about Jesus. We, we seek to build by being bold to tell them about the gospel, about walking in obedience to the Lord's word, word right? About repentance and grace and resting in Jesus and, and all that. That is a building mindset in that regard. But, but we also repair, and this is the one we tend to forget a little more. You, you probably know people in your life who have some history of Christianity, some growing up in the church, some aspect of that, but maybe they are, they are struggling today with, with doubt. Maybe they are struggling through some ethical issue uh, that they're really, really just having an issue with. Maybe they are you know, deconstructing their faith as that phrase is becoming too popular, uh, unfortunately, lately, right? Or, or, or they've been burned in very real ways by Christians or by churches in general. Um, these may be situations where, where God may use us, use you in, in, in the repairing, in the strengthening of their faith. Rebuilding in that sense, repairing. And we do that, right, a number of ways. One, by, by praying for them. By discussing their doubts with them. Drawing them into a conversation, not just condemning them or seeing them as lost causes. By, by seeking to lead them back into God's word, back into the, you know, the, the community of God's covenant people. Just, just be mindful, right? Bottom line here is be mindful. Look for ways in your life where God might be leading you to, to either build or, or to repair in, in people's lives in that way or to be used as, as God ultimately does it. Uh, third thing, in Ezra 10.25, you don't have to go back there, there's a man there named Mal Chaja. He probably doesn't go by that. Uh, Mal Chaja. Uh, he is in a list of, of these men who disobeyed the Lord by, by marrying foreign women who worshiped foreign gods. Uh, and, and this whole list of men, we mentioned on the very first week, I think, he was one of those guys that was condemned and, and put out. And, and yet, he shows up here. In verse 11 there, that's him. It's his father. It all matches up. It, it's him. Uh, and here he is serving the Lord with the people of God. And I don't know how this came to be. I'm putting it on that list of ridiculous questions and good questions that I want to ask in eternity. Um, but certainly there has been something that's happened in his life. Uh, some form of repentance. Uh, there has been years at this point of the fruits of repentance. He has tasted great grace. <clears throat> He's a, a prodigal that has returned to the Lord. And even though we don't know the details, we can see that's what's happened. Learn from this. Your past failures do not hinder the grace of God towards you, okay? Do not let past failure, even current struggles, keep you from serving the Lord in faithfulness. We, we see, a, even here, in this little bitty thing, there is a beautiful picture of grace, a man restored. Fourth thing, uh, Nehemiah names many specific people who contributed to this project. Uh, he recognizes their role in the work of, of God repairing this wall. And so from this, I think the observation is this, whose service has the Lord used in the building or the repairing of your faith over your life? Who has contributed in service to your life? And I say this because I want to encourage you to recognize those people. 
Maybe a phone call, maybe a card, maybe sitting down just, just to recognize them. You don't have to put on a billboard somewhere, just to them, right? Uh, who would be blessed by your recognition of their efforts in your life? And, 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 and let me remind you this, don't, don't let us become people that expect the recognition, right? Don't think, oh, well, the so-and-so should probably come and recognize me. We don't want to be those people, but we do want to be people who, people who with grateful hearts and grateful words recognize those who have, have served the Lord's purposes in our lives. Uh, and finally, right, the, the people of God in Nehemiah's day served to restore the city. Jerusalem, right? Zion. Uh, this is the home to the temple. This is where, where God came and met with his people, where his presence was known by him. Uh, their serving at this time was this construction. Uh, we sometimes do that today. I, I remember taking a mission trip with students to Juarez, Mexico, and, and we get there. And they let us, we're putting out cinder blocks and cement. We have very little training, maybe a 10-minute training beforehand. We're literally building the walls of this, this church. And it was the strangest thing when we got back to Overland Park, Kansas. And, and they're like, yeah, you can't, you can't touch our walls. Um, right? Because it all had to be professionals and you had to pull permits. And, and people that knows what's going on. And so Mexico and America were, were so different. It, it was all reserved for that thing. Now, now because of that, um, for us, a lot of serving looks, looks different, right? A, a lot of building things look financial. It, it looks like uh, committed prayer for the, for the work of Christ's church here and abroad. It looks like uh, giving time where, where there are needs. It, it looks like, uh, you know, even those that are serving on our, our building committee right now, looking for a place where we can worship if, if this place is no longer available to us. It, it looks like Philippians 1.27, when Paul, you know, hopes the church there, uh, will be, and he says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by their opponents. It looks like that sort of unity. That's what we desire. Now, now coming back to the original statement, right? What, what we see in this passage over our, overall is, is the people of God united together around the mission of God. That's my desire, my prayer for us. The people of God united together around the mission of God. And, and so church, may we, be, may we be liberated from the curse of selfishness so that we may be united together around the mission of God. May, may we find great joy in, in serving the Lord wherever and, and whenever and whatever ways there is need. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you make us a covenant community who works together for the sake of the gospel? for the sake of the loss, for the sake of each other, for the sake of your name and your glory. Give us individually wisdom to know how to best serve in the places and the spaces that serving is needed. May we glorify you in our, our unified purpose, both within this covenant community and out in the communities that you have placed us in. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.